Hey, Kevin Grout here. We got another special episode of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Early voting is underway in Kentucky as Scott and I sit down with Russell Coleman, the Republican nominee for Kentucky Attorney General. Russell is straight out of law enforcement central casting. We talk about his career carrying a badge and a gun, his endorsement from the Fraternal Order of Police, and how he's going to protect Kentucky families as the next AG. We also play some of his campaign ads that are really some of the best of this cycle. All this and more with Republican Attorney General nominee Russell Coleman on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And thanks for listening to the Flyover Country podcast. Scott Jennings here. The long arm of the law is in the studio today. Russell Coleman, candidate for attorney general. Thanks for being here, sir. Honored to be here, my friend. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure. I I, I have to say, we've been at this campaign for about 18 months, year and a half job interview. And there, there was a must-do that I uh, listened to while we were on the roads of uh, eastern, western, central Kentucky. We always – you listen to the Flower Podcast with, uh, with Kevin Grout. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin's become a bigger part of the show lately. He's inserted himself He's into He's been more leaning in. I, yeah. I agree. I agree. Many and are saying, uh, we'll have to get new, yeah. new branding. <laughs> it's been a – it's been fun to have Kevin uh, along for the ride on this pod, and Joe Arnold, and uh, Sean Southerd, and uh, Jared Crawford. We've had a good, we've had a lot of fun with this, and uh, and we've had a lot of fun, of course, tracking your campaign and being part of your effort. And so we're grateful for you're putting yourself forward uh, for public service Absolutely. out there. I wanted to have you in because um, you know, outside of the governor's race, the attorney general's race has attracted the most outside attention. It's, I think, the most prominent state office carries a, a lot of responsibilities, including some new ones uh, for the next AG that we're going to talk about. But I wanted to give people a chance to hear Russell Coleman in his in his own words. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Russell, and 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 start with why you decided to run for attorney general. Well, Scott, I'm, I'm glad there has been that degree of attention because the office is a significant one under not only under Kentucky's Constitution, but we've seen some increase in the duties as of late. And we can, can get to that in a moment. I Scott, I love law enforcement. I have wanted to be in law enforcement since I was, no joke, a second grader at Thruston Elementary School in uh, in Davis County, which is where we, we moved around Western Kentucky some. My dad worked in factories, worked in aluminum plants. Originally, we lived in Graves, and then we moved to Davis County, and then we landed in Logan. But at the time, I came across these books, these old black and white, pure J. Edgar Hoover propaganda books in our <laughs> elementary school. And I, it's, it was fedoras, and it was Tommy guns, and I knew in second grade I wanted to do that when I grew up. And I, I have to tell you, though, I might as well have gone home and told my parents I wanted to be in NASA. And they <laughs> patted me on the head and said, great son. But we didn't know an FBI agent. We didn't, I didn't know a lawyer until I was, uh, was in, probably in college. So for me, as I grew older, it was less about the fedoras and the Tommy guns and more about understanding what law enforcement is. I had an uncle who was a local police officer in Paris in Bourbon County. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, we had a trooper that lived in our neighborhood. Didn't know the trooper well, but we all looked up to him. He, he really was a par- he, he was a coach. When he showed up, you, you stood up a little, little taller. He, he, he was high and tight, pure Kentucky State Police. And as I learned more about what law enforcement is, it's, 
it's not all that different than Scott, what you do in your home and what you do, Kevin, it, it's protecting. It's you protect your families. That's your core mission, of course, provide for them, but protect your families. What law enforcement does is it expands that aperture beyond your family to your block, your community, your county, your commonwealth, or nationally. That, that, that's just what these men and women do. And as I learned more about the profession, at my core, I wanted to do that when I grew up. And I probably was a bit too linear, but I, everything I did in terms of undergrad, law school, some time off before law school, internships, laser beam focused on one day carrying that, that tiny little piece of brass that said Federal Bureau of Investigation on it. You and I share some uh, commonality in our background. I grew up in western Kentucky, as you know. My dad worked in some factories as well, and so uh, you and I share a love of, of that part of the state. And our first jobs, mine off the farm, uh, yours uh, off, off uh, work around your yard, radio. <laughs> radio. WRUS <laughs> Russellville. What did you do on the radio? Disc jockey, weatherman, sports, all of it? Probably lost listeners for WRUS. <laughs> I, I, I did all of it. Uh, we, we, we did from, uh, from sports to, to the disc jockey. But the disc jockey work there, we had these old reels. This was, this oh, yeah. was pretty reel old school. Yeah. And so the music was, it was preset, of course. And yeah. so you would have the Beatles and you would. So I would have friends call in and request, <laughs> I want to hear the Beatles. Absolutely, we'll put that on. Well, the Beatles were coming either way. <laughs> but I had a lot of fun with it. And I will tell you, there's a, a, a someday, hopefully he hears this, Don Neagle, who is 50-plus years in Kentucky journalism. His, yeah. his wife was my typing teacher and sent me his way. He interviewed me when I was U.S. attorney. And sitting in there, much like this, being able to talk to this gentleman that gave me an opportunity years prior, and my last interview as U.S. Attorney at about 11.50 on the, the day the new administration was coming in, President Trump was leaving office, I did my last interview with WRUS. When I announced I was going to run for Attorney General, we announced through WRUS. That's a lot of loyalty to your uh, your hometown radio. It, it is a, you know, the, 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 the power of local radio is still uh, very mm-hmm. real, it, it, especially it, in a state like Kentucky absolutely. where... You don't have a ton of, you know, we have some media deserts out there, but most places have some kind of local radio, and it is still, for a lot of folks, the first place they turn when something's going on or to find out what's going on around town. Uh, I've always, those are my favorite jobs. I've had a lot of jobs, but it was amazing to be part of a radio community. Still a lot of friends from that. If you don't grow up in one of those rural areas and you have myriad media options here in Louisville or in northern Kentucky or in in Lexington, you you don't fully appreciate how you rely on it. It's it's part of the infrastructure of the community. Did you have one of the stations, was RUS, like we had to go in and turn on the tower and write down the readings off the tower and all that? I remember doing that in Princeton, Kentucky. I mean, it still had the tubes. I mean, it was... I mean, you f- it, it felt like you had invented radio when you were in there. I mean, it was... Uh, Mr. Tesla, good morning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was amazing. Um, they didn't trust me enough to have me turn on the radio. You, you much more trust with you. Uh, so you um, obviously had this love of law enforcement, and then you graduated from high school, and you went on to the University of Kentucky. Yes, and when go you, Cats. And when you got there, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, at that point... Hit, hit, you were still on track to do law enforcement, but had you yet decided to become a lawyer? For me, a law degree was a way to be hired by the FBI. I say this as someone that's, that's practiced for almost 20 years now, and I, I, if your listeners could, could see a smile on my face, I'm, I'm kind of laughing at myself. It, it was a way to be hired. I, I would have stood on my head in the middle of Broadway if that would have, uh, at the time, been able to, to uh, get me into the FBI. Again, I was so linearly focused. 
I've, I'm so grateful that I did now with the the twists and turns that that life is is provided. But for me, the law degree was that that way of being hired by the bureau. I, I went to undergrad at UK. I worked for a few years in Washington uh, it, before law school. Most notably, as as a intern for Senator McConnell, <laughs> afforded me this opportunity as I was looking for other paid jobs. They didn't have a paid job on staff, but they hired me knowing I was spending a lot of time. Uh, looking for for other jobs, I was ultimately I was hired at, at the at the Justice Department, and went to work uh, for uh, for a, a less than conservative Attorney General at the time as a career government employee. I worked for Attorney General Janet Reno and then John Ashcroft as a as a civil servant as their briefing coordinator. So not politically appointed. No, you were no. in there as a as a career federal person. I was, and it's the the old joke of, of uh, from Clausewitz: you never want to see the process of of laws and sausage being made. I would add. <laughs> transition a presidential and you've been there you <laughs> uh, having seen uh, one day you're working with folks from one administration and this is the office of the attorney general on a friday and on a monday there're tumbleweeds blowing through the hallways yeah and so you did your service and then you did join the fbi came home uh, to kentucky for law school uh, best decision i ever made uh, met my wife in law school so my dearest friends Went to the University of Kentucky for law school. I didn't necessarily love law school, but the the caliber of the folks that I had the opportunity to get to know, in, including my my wife and and dear friends, I was briefly a state prosecutor after I graduated from law school in Jasmine and Garrett counties, mm. working for a, a fine gentleman, Commonwealth attorney. Uh, I was having a lot of fun getting in court, waiting on my class date at Quantico, waiting to go to the uh, to the FBI Academy. So uh, started uh, was was sworn in uh, in twenty uh, two thousand five rather I, I'll never forget that you you have a class designation which you could figure out about half my passwords and, 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 <laughs> it, it, not not to give the Chinese any ideas uh, the PRC but uh, we got a lot of fans over there Kevin yeah, yeah I think so I think so. <laughs> Yeah, so graduated and started it was sworn in and sent to of all places we could have been sent anywhere in the world. You you sign onto that dotted line, could have been sent to and you you actually rank of the fifty six field offices where you want to go. And the the old joke is it's a it's a drunk monkey that then throws darts <laughs> and, and chooses where you go. We were very fortunate to land in Indianapolis, mm. uh, and and jokingly I was um, I had a young wife work for Governor Fletcher at the time. I was was making her move, but we were moving to Indianapolis, and it was close to home. We were excited about that. And then I, my instructor pulled me aside and said, Coleman, how do you feel about Bloomington, Indiana? And before I could res- respond, I was told, congratulations, you're going to Bloomington, <laughs> Indiana. And it was a small office in rural southern Indiana. Right. Best experience I possibly could have had. I, I jokingly as a UK two-time UK guy, I was issued my body armor the same day I was sent to IU country that I was sent to Bloomington, which is which are very true on both fronts. But I had a had a wonderful experience there, learning what it meant to be a cop. Yeah, learning what it meant to and I'm I, some of your listeners may have heard this story. I spent my first month. Eventually, I stopped wearing a suit, but I spent my first month out and about in rural counties in southern Indiana. With my training agent, this grizzled, great guy, had spent a lot of his career on the southwest border. Finally, after weeks of working on cases that didn't uh, have any foreseeable outcome in federal court, helping out with searches, drinking coffee, listening to a lot of police chiefs and sheriffs, I asked my training agent, what are we doing? Why are we, quote unquote, wasting our time? And I'll leave the expletives out in his (laughs) response. But he said, we're building relationships. He said, the core of what law enforcement is, is relationship. It's, 
it allows you to be effective. Mm. It allows you to, he said, when one of these sheriffs has a kidnapping in their rural county, which we had, uh, or has an issue with child exploitation or has a bank robbery, which we had frequently, if they have to pick up the phone and call the FBI office and say, who works there? Who are the agents there? You're already behind the curve. Mm. It's it's tough to build relationships in the midst of an emergency. It's You build them when there's not an ask. You build them when there's not an exigency. And so it, it, if you're behind the curve, you're not as effective. You're not as impactful when that emergency comes. And it, it always does come. In your campaign, you've talked a lot about your ability to build bridges and communication between law enforcement agencies. And, and you view the attorney general's office as something of a convener to tackle big problems. It sounds like you, you started to learn those lessons right out of the gate in your first FBI job. I, I credit Rogelio Gomez, my first training agent, who uh, had a big, thick mustache and just a, a character out of, out of fiction almost mm-hmm. that beat that into me. And I will tell you, Scott, as I went on to other roles, serving Senator McConnell as his legal counsel, serving as the U.S. attorney for our Western District, I just continue to build on that because both of those jobs, the value, my value that I brought to Senator McConnell or the folks I served as U.S. attorney, it, it was very relationship-centric. Kevin? So everything we're hearing, you know, you from the second grade, you wanted to do this, and I think you emerged quickly as the most qualified person to ever run for Kentucky Attorney General. I think that it isn't an overstatement, and it, it shows if people haven't followed closely. You were the only Republican to even run for this office. You cleared the field the day you announced, and, and no one else had gotten the way. And then since you won the nomination on filing deadline day, you have just been dominating this campaign. You've been raising boatloads of money, the million-dollar man right here, the highest raiser uh, of the entire down ticket. Um, I mean... Y- y- you are tailor-made for this office, um, so we've got the expert here. What What are you going to do day one? We You're going to be elected. What are you going to do day one? What are the priorities? Well, I'm, I'm not going to be presumptuous. I'm looking. We can talk day one. but Attention let, voters. You still have to vote. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the Very polls important. are open. Uh, I love Kevin's optimism and enthusiasm. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. We have I, to count the votes. <laughs> I, I do agree you are going to win. <laughs> Well, God willing, the creeks don't rise. We're going to be yeah. running through the tape and, and encourage yeah. and, and welcome anyone who's hearing to uh, to, to show up, and, and I'm grateful for your support. I, I do want to back up a second because there, there, there is a bit of tension. I'm, I am grateful for every opportunity I've been provided as an FBI special agent, as a state prosecutor in a couple different jurisdictions, and as U.S. attorney and as, as Leader McConnell's legal counsel. I, I'm grateful for that as my background. But as you could imagine, you see your name on screen as or be introduced as the most qualified, quote unquote. And there's one of the things I want to approach this office with is with a degree of humility that there is an enormous amount of power that the attorney general of this commonwealth is given by the people of this commonwealth or that the U.S. attorney was given by the the president of the United States. I, I hope I did approach that job as U.S. attorney and will approach the job as attorney general with a degree of humility. So you can only imagine the, the, it's, I've had to work through that hesitation when there's, there's that introduction, but I'm proud of, of the opportunities I've been provided of the leadership that I've been able to bring to the, to the job in various law enforcement roles that you mentioned the convening authority and, and attorney general Cameron has done a great job mm. at that. He raised that in his campaign in 2019. It's because, and I use the metaphor of the long table. There's a, uh, there's a long you all have been in the conference room of the attorney general's office in that beautiful state capitol. There's a long, beat-up uh, table uh, in the in the conference room with 
law books on either side. That's the metaphor of what I would say is the superpower of the Kentucky Attorney General. It's to tear down those walls between agencies. It's to, to for an outcome. It's to bring disparate groups together. I, I'll tell you, I, I'll oftentimes when speaking to a group say the greatest limiting factor of us in law enforcement to protect your families. It's not personnel, although we can always use more personnel or more resources. It's not that we need statutory authority for this or that. And I would pull out my badge when I was U.S. attorney, and I would say, it's what it says right here. It's what it says on our badge. We don't historically in law enforcement work well together. The sheriff necessarily doesn't work well with the police chief, doesn't work well with the state police. And if you're hurting or you're victimized, all you want is someone to show up and protect you. You don't care who it is. You just want it to work. You don't want to necessarily see how that sausage is made. The reality is that sausage-making process is that we don't do as effective a job in law enforcement as we could if we collaborated. The bad guys, we, you hear me talk a lot about the, the, the poison that's pouring into this commonwealth from over a porous southwest border. The bad guys, the Mexican drug cartels, they're, they're very effective, very, very effective business organizations. They continue to improve their efficacy. While we in law enforcement uh, are not running necessarily, improving at the same pace. Now, I'm incredibly proud of those that, that wear that badge and gun. But the great thing about the profession is there's a mentality that you can always get better. It's, it's a lot like sports, it's a lot like professional sports in the sense that it is a moving target. You always need to be improving, whether it's your efficacy on the firearms range, how you conduct an interview, uh, or, or how you collaborate. We can always get better. And that role as the attorney general can be a focal point for pushing law enforcement, not only defending law enforcement from these extraordinary attacks we're seeing in this day and age, but pushing law enforcement to collaborate more effectively. Because at the end of the day, it'll result in safer communities. You uh, obviously have described your upbringing and and interest in training as someone who uh, wanted to be a career law enforcement person, but you've you've made the jump to politics, and I, I I don't detect that you ever necessarily saw yourself as a politician as a young person, or even coming up through your different public service jobs. But you did make the jump, and I remember a, a conversation we had uh, a few months ago uh, in the run up to the Fancy Farm political picnic. Obviously, one of the biggest things to happen in West Kentucky. You had attended it many Fantastic, times. Yeah. And I remember you telling me uh, what it meant to you uh, to be able to go onto that stage. Kevin, let's listen to a little of Russell Coleman at Fancy Farm. Jokes aside, I'm running for the very serious purpose of protecting your family and mine from violent crime, from the deadly drugs that we're seeing dumping into our communities, and from the radical overreach of the Biden administration in Washington, D.C. Friends, I am running to back the blue. I have worn a badge and I have carried a gun as a street agent. I have been a state prosecutor and I have been the chief federal prosecutor appointed by the President of the United States. I've raised my hand to serve overseas in a combat zone to protect this country from its enemies. Russell, that was an enthusiastic clip uh, from Fancy Farm. I mean, when you stepped up there, I I think for a lot of people who run for state office in Kentucky— that's when it feels real. Like when you hop up there and you look out on that crowd and you hear the whole thing, that, that's when it gets real. Oh, there's a, there's a before and after. And Fancy Farm is the line of demarcation, I would say, in a campaign. When you step up there, up to that mic, and you see thousands of people 
cheering on one side, jeering on the other side. <laughs> it, it is hard, and, and Scott, you've emceed Fancy Farm. Yeah. You've taken it to a whole new level. It's hard to convey the wall of sound that hits you when you step up at that podium. Just the absolute wall of sound. And you don't, and, and you, you wisely advised me beforehand, you don't get audible feedback from your, your voice. And what I mean by that is when you and I are talking, you get a, a sense of, of how loud you're talking. If you're, you're, we're not screaming at each other. You, 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 you moderate your volume. You don't get any of that feedback given that it's so loud. And so you have to plow through your speech. And, and there really are two fancy farms, by the way. There's, they're the folks sitting at home watching on KET. Yeah. And they're the folks cheering and jeering. Much and different you, experience. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And so you have to plow through the, the speech, but yet not scream because the folks at home will think you're you're off the wall. Yeah. The wheels have come off, but yet the audience still needs to hear you as well. And so I admittedly my kids said that uh, I went a little too hard this year. Um, <laughs> they they gave me a hard time. I probably would have regardless, but next year if fortunate enough to be on that stage, I may moderate it. I may pull back just a little bit, but I will tell you saying all that, what a tremendous honor to be on that stage. Yeah, it's it is cool. a, it, it is very very cool. That community is incredible. Uh, the, the people, the food, the entire feel, uh, the, and it may be because we're all dehydrated from sweating so much because <laughs> it is it is hotter than just the bowels of hell always, <laughs> but it, it's it's a phenomenal experience and I'm so grateful for the hospitality uh, of of the folks down there and and uh, that experience. And, and not to disagree with your kids, but I think you did a pretty great job. Uh, you did all right. <laughs> appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate it. Was it was all right. Um, uh, let me talk about your time as U.S. Attorney. Um, you were. Appointed by Donald Trump, recommended yes. by Mitch McConnell, uh, and supported by Rand Paul. But you were also supported by everyone in the Senate. You were unanimously confirmed. Uh, when you got that job and you 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 stepped into that role, how did you – I mean, obviously it's a political appointment, but, but my perception of you at the time was that you treated it very much like, you know, down the line – career law enforcement you know how do i solve the most crimes how do i put the most bad guys in jail it wasn't it wasn't you didn't view it as a political job you viewed it as as a true day in and day out law enforcement position well thank you because that's how that's how i tried to do it on a daily basis it is a it's a bit of a hybrid given that it is a political process to get there presidential appointment senate confirmation but once you're confirmed there is no r or d to violent crime victims there is no r d to the loss of a family member to, to drug overdose death. And so there, my colleagues as well, I will tell you, I, I was proud to serve as Senator McConnell's legal counsel. Uh, I, I went to such lengths as I, I didn't go to Fancy Farm any year that uh, I served as U.S. attorney, and I hated missing it. I didn't go, even though it's you could have gone, had barbecue safely. I didn't like the optics of that. I didn't have a single photo of Senator McConnell or any other political figure in my office as U.S. attorney. Optics, optics mattered. Uh, the nature of that role is to show up for 53 counties. I had from Oldham County in the Northeast down to the River Counties, uh, down to uh, Ballard, Carlisle, Hickman, Fulton on the other side of, of Fancy Farm. Mm-hmm. And the mandate was not to be the U.S. Attorney for Louisville. You're the U.S. Attorney for the Western District. What do I mean by that? You show up in all 53 counties because, as we know, you know especially, the further you live from the Golden Triangle, and I mean no disrespect to folks that live in the bluegrass in Northern Kentucky and Louisville. But the reality is, I could say this if I were in Bell County, down in the mountains, or Ballard County in the west. The further you live from the Golden Triangle, the less you feel connected to your state capital, 
the less you feel that your state government pays attention to you, and especially your federal government. You feel you feel like flyover. Yeah. And, and so it was very important for me to knock that notion down, to be present. So I, I went to all 53 counties. I ate barbecue. I met with sheriffs. I spoke to chamber meetings. And, and hopefully more importantly after listening, I tried to execute on some of the things I learned in listening to folks in those counties. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I, very early on, Paducah and that great area in the purchase – there wasn't an FBI office in all of that region. They closed that office post 9-11. There had never been a DEA office in that region with all of the dope we're seeing pouring in that organizations and traffickers are, are bringing in. I've worked very hard to, to correct that. There's now an FBI and a DEA office co-located in Paducah. There was never has never been a U.S. attorney's office in Bowling Green. That great part of the state, uh, we... we we served that area, driving from Louisville, prosecutors did. But I wanted people living and working in the communities they served. So we fought the bureaucratic battle, and now there are prosecutors living and working in Bowling Green and working cases in, up into Greene County and Medcalf and over into Clinton. And so that, that, that area, that entire region of the Commonwealth now is being served, better served, by the United States government protecting them. And that's a product of listening. It's a product of uh, of. of and ironically, I'm doing a lot of talking now in response to your questions, but leadership needs to be about listening. Uh, and that's what I try to do as U.S. attorney. And if I'm fortunate enough to be the 52nd attorney general, that's how I'm going to lead and lead that office. Given your experience in that job and obviously what you've emphasized in the campaign, the need to, to really focus on the drug problem, do you think Kentuckians have a full understanding or a full appreciation of just what a crossroads Kentucky has become for the international drug cartels. I mean, we've got crap pouring in here at levels that I, I think people don't really understand just how many people could be killed by the amount of stuff that comes in on a daily or weekly basis. And I know you encountered this as U.S. attorney, um, and, and obviously there's federal implications here. I mean, with the immigration border crisis sure. is, is hurting us. There's no doubt about that. But... Um, as attorney general, you're going to expand on that work, but I, I do think, I do think part of what you're going to have to accomplish is to get get Kentuckians to understand. Like I, you know, the drug problem is bad, but let me tell you, you don't the amount, the volume of crime, criminals, and drugs running back and forth through this state is. If people really, really knew who was going up and down the roads in our communities, it scares to death. Sadly, Scott, I. I I'll leave you with a couple of numbers. I uh, went to law school to avoid math, and so I won't I won't lean in on statistics. But I, I disagree with you to a degree, because the number two thousand one hundred, approximately twenty one hundred, that's the number of Kentuckians that died last year to drug related death. It's the number one killer of adults in the Commonwealth. Over two thousand folks, two thousand empty seats at kitchen tables and pews. I'm, I'm convinced Kentuckians know all too well the drug threat. They view it differently now because it is like a hot knife through butter. It is, it's not that community anymore. And I, I, I'm pointing my, my finger. It's not that neighborhood or that county anymore or that, se that section of the state. Man, it's everywhere. We, we are underwater yeah. with dope. And we're underwater with a type of poison that as little as one pill could kill our sons and our daughters. As little as, as one pill. So Kentuckians are, are very receptive to that because they, they feel like they've been gutted. Now, to your question, to your point, Kentucky is a border state, and I don't mean the seven contiguous states to the, to the Commonwealth. 
every bit of that poison that's coming in here and killing our kids, every bit of that comes from over a porous southwest border with Mexico. And yeah. so we, we, we have to tackle that first and foremost. If the follow-up question is, what in the heck could a state AG do to, to have an impact? Well, to your point, educating is one. Talking about this issue with a sense of urgency we do a very piecemeal, poor job of prevention in this Commonwealth. And look, I'm a prosecutor. I talk about locking up bad guys because that's the nature of law enforcement to go after those that are bringing this poison in. But to push back, it really needs to be a three-legged stool. It needs to be treatment on the back end, and we're doing a better job at that. Enforcement, which is what I talk about and focus on, but it also needs to be prevention. We need to be talking to our kids, having these uncomfortable conversations. I don't want to talk to my 11-year-old now 12, uh, that one pill could kill. I mean, you want to guard our kids' hearts as long as possible. But we can't do that. Yeah. We, we have to start at an earlier age focused with a sense of urgency on prevention. Yeah, you you have really stressed this uh, fight against drugs in your campaign. I mean, you, you've, you've sort of framed it as, um, I'm here to protect you and your family from drugs, from crime, and, and also— And violent crime at that. Violent, violent crime, uh, which sadly is, is plaguing— so many places. The entire Commonwealth. And also from uh, federal overreach, you know, regulations, unconstitutional actions. That's another part of the AG's office that I think uh, uh, General Cameron uh, has, has gotten exactly right. In fact, Kevin, let's, uh, let's listen to some of Russell's uh, uh, advertising. I'm Russell Coleman, the law and order candidate. I'm running to protect Kentucky and our people. The Biden administration is hurting us. And our communities are under attack from violent criminals and deadly drugs. As the next Attorney General, I will stand up to the Biden administration. I will relentlessly enforce the law, and I will protect our streets. I'd be honored to have your vote. I do think, um, you know, obviously you would take office in January. Joe Biden will be president for at least one more year. And I think one area where Cameron has really, really been effective is in leading some efforts to push back. We've heard Jonathan Shell, the candidate for Ag Commissioner, talk about this as well. Can you talk a little bit about um, your view, that part of the office, and how aggressive you plan to be in monitoring and and pushing back when, when you think the Biden administration is going outside the bounds of the Constitution or outside of what's good for Kentucky? It, it's one of the, the critical duties of the Office of the Attorney General, and that is to, to enforce the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, to, to push back when we see federal overreach, when we see the federal government inserting itself in areas that the founders uh, never contemplated and that, frankly, uh, folks with common sense didn't contemplate. When we see a federal government that's uh, pushing that EPA onto our farms be, when there's a degree. And Jonathan Shell, yeah. I'm really excited about that degree of collaboration that will be there uh, defending Kentucky farmers, working with our next ag commissioner. Uh, but we're, whether, you, whether you own a farm or whether you cook with a gas stove, it, is, it, it would be it, what an honor to, to step into the shoes of an AG, Attorney General Cameron, that has leveraged the duties, the tools of that office, fighting all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States and uh, joining arms with other conservative AGs. It's something we don't talk about enough and something that I didn't fully appreciate is how this attorney general, how, how Attorney General Cameron has built relationships with other attorneys, conservative attorneys general that I could step into the shoes uh, and, and leverage those relationships as well as we're, as we're trying to, to 
bring common sense to an administration that just doesn't view the world through that lens. And he's done it, Kevin, with uh, Cameron, has done it with no help from the governor. Right. I mean, that, that's the opportunity that Kentucky voters have is an attorney general and a governor who have uh, common views and an alliance on protecting the state from federal overreach, but also could have an alliance on, you know, a lot of issues. I, I, I hear this all the time from people in Frankfurt, just how insular Bashir has been unwilling to work with the rest of the cabinet. I don't think we're going to get that out of Daniel Cameron. I think, I think obviously you all have a, a close personal uh, relationship, but, but Daniel is a collaborative person. You obviously have demonstrated your uh, interest in, in collaboration. I think that can unlock a lot of potential for Kentucky that we just haven't had because of the insular nature of Bashir. Any one of these issues we're talking about are huge. Violence, uh, drug trafficking, uh, attempting to protect Kentucky from a left-of-center agenda that doesn't make any sense. Think We've not had a conservative Republican attorney general and a governor serving at the same time since before the Second World War. Just think about that. And think about all of the time and the energy that, that Attorney General Cameron has had to use to, uh, to, to enforce the law, fighting our own governor. Think about the potential if we were rowing together on any one of these yeah. huge issues. I, I could not be much more enthusiastic and excited about that. Your opponent yeah. is a fascinating person to me, Pam Stevenson, state representative in Kentucky. But I still can't believe we're saying this out loud here. <laughs> does not have a Kentucky law license. No. It is kind of stunning to me that the yeah. Democrats nominated someone who literally cannot walk into a courtroom uh, has never practiced law in Kentucky, has never handled a case in Kentucky. Did you believe it when you first heard that? No, it, it, it's <laughs> mind, it really is mind-blowing that not only it, is she not licensed, uh, she, she hadn't taken affirmative efforts to become licensed, and that, that's a criminal violation to step into yeah. a courtroom. Uh, and uh, the, the legislature in which she served criminalized that, I believe, last session. But just as, as a matter of common sense— seeking to be the chief state law officer, law enforcement officer of the Commonwealth, yet not being licensed to practice law in the Commonwealth. I hope that anyone who asked her to run had just assumed, but really they should put that on the on the sheet, the checklist of things that you need to do first before you can sign on the dotted line. I think it is an indication of how little Democrats think of this office. You know what I mean? And like, of the people who vote for it. If you yes, and I mean if you think about okay, this is a consequential office. This person needs to to be able to, you know, to operate in a legal environment, uh, but also needs to know something about law enforcement. I think Democrats have always treated it more politically. Yeah, yeah. They've treated it as a stepping stone. They've treated it as just as a place to to sort of uh, operate politics. And what the Republicans have done, and you, Russell, is nominate someone who fully intends to operate it as a law enforcement agency. But the but the carelessness of, I think, nominating Stevenson, who didn't have a law license, and who also has fundamentally anti-police views. I mean, you have to be able to, to c- convene and collaborate with the police all over at every level. And, uh, and um, that is fundamentally the opposite of the way she has operated in Frankfurt as a politician and and obviously has operated in her professional career, not even taking the time to, to get a law license. The funniest thing that happened in this campaign was after it was pointed out she didn't have one, one of her people was like, well, she uh, she passed an ethics exam and she got a, what was it, a 98? She got a 98 out she of a, a... Well, wait, they said to the press, she got a 98. 
And I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. And then somebody calls and said, well, it's out of 150. <laughs> I'm like, what is that, like a D minus? <laughs> yeah. So we have no law license, a D minus on the ethics test, and this is what they're running. It's kind of shocking. And I, uh, and uh, you know, some of the national Democrats have come after. I think they're afraid of you, honestly, and what you represent. And they ran some false negative ads, uh, and you were quick to fight back. Let's hear uh, the Russell Coleman rebuttal uh, to the – uh, smears from the Democrat AG's association. Washington liberals are lying about Russell Coleman, all to cover up the fact that their own candidate doesn't even have a Kentucky law license. Pam Stevenson is an unqualified anti-police radical we can't trust. Make the right choice. Russell Coleman, an experienced law and order prosecutor. His record is clear. Coleman puts sex offenders away for good. That's why Kentucky law enforcement backs Russell Coleman, the tough on crime choice for attorney general. I want to get to the uh, to the close of the show and ask you a few rapid fire questions. But one thing about that ad uh, and really all your advertising is just how prominently you have featured your endorsement of the Kentucky Fraternal Order of Police. They endorsed you early. A lot of footage of you and the cops in this campaign. Getting that endorsement after the career path that you had, how how um, how uh, important was that? I mean, what did that feel like when you when you found out? My peers in the law enforcement community have put me on their shoulder for this job. As I told them at the time, that if, if I could have one single endorsement in this race that would be most meaningful to me personally, and that's I, I'm honored by anyone who endorsed me throughout this race. It's very humbling to have someone associate their reputation with yours. But as an organization, one entity that would mean the most to me, it was my brothers and sisters from the Fraternal Order Police. And why do I say brothers and sisters? Because I was a member of the FOP. I was a member of Lodge 1 in Washington, D.C., which is right down the street from the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial. I, I was a member uh, until I was injured and left the FBI. And so for them to endorse me fully a year out mm-hmm. uh, was, uh, was incredibly meaningful. Because in, in that world, you want to be known as a good cop or a good agent. That's the highest praise in that world. And to me, it was hearing from those that had looked at my background, assessed me, and they, they were saying, they were giving me the thumbs up. It was, it was comparable to being, being told, hey, he's a he's good agent. It means a lot. Yeah, they didn't, they, they went a full year early. I, I think that needs to be underscored. That I think it was probably one of the earliest endorsements they've ever given. Mm. They could not wait to associate themselves with you because, you know, like I said before, you are the most qualified person to ever be. Kentucky Attorney General. All right, before we get to the personal questions, after four years of Russell Coleman as Attorney General, when you look back on that, what's going to look like success to you? What's a win? After four years, what can we expect Russell Coleman to have accomplished with this office? That this this bracelet I wear that says Officer Jason Ellis, the Bardstown police officer that was murdered 10 years ago, that that would not be an unsolved, that we would have prosecuted the men or man that uh, that that took that police officer from his family for one as a, as a as a single matter and priority that we see law enforcement agencies collaborating we see a statewide prevention effort on the drug front we, we we look at Kentucky those that would want to harm our kids they look at Kentucky as a, a no-go zone because they know and I, we talk about collaboration in the abstract what does that mean that sounds like a great term from a podium that means that agencies do a better job of catching bad guys, of, of, of taking these, these offenders off the street. The defenders look in Kentucky and say, well, maybe I need to go move on up I-75 or I-65 because 
that they that they don't they don't play around there and they're good at it. Russell Coleman is the Republican nominee for Attorney General. You live in Oldham County. Yes. And um, uh, you have a family, married, got some kids. Three kids, 15, yeah. 12, and, uh, and four. Yeah, we're in the same woods. We are. We are. So I'm going to ask you two questions. One, what is, your, what is your favorite movie? And then the second question is, what is the movie that your children have watched over and over and over again that if you could erase it from, <laughs> from the human memory banks, you would do it? So my, <laughs> my favorite movie, and it really is a tie, uh, it's it's the old uh, the the John Wayne Green Berets from 1972 when we were still in the Vietnam War and and it's uh, it's it's the Secret Service movie and the Line of Fire with Clint Eastwood uh, so those are those are both fantastic a lot of lot of options uh, but I, I watch those and have watched those over and over for me on the kids by the way I, like I can I can recite the entire script of every Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Yeah. Because all four watched it and watched them all mm-hmm. over and over and over, and I didn't dislike it that much at the time, but it, after the fourth child, it's fine once. Yeah, Lord have mercy. <laughs> what so, was yours? So there's a there's a series <laughs> called Caillou. Oh, yeah. Okay. My, so we've got some dads here. My Absolutely. oldest watched Caillou. It kind of went away after a while. And that's uh, one of those shows we've never watched it. That's one that we've been warned about. No, I like, think don't even golf. try it. I think Caillou has been supplanted. I think he's gone. Plus, well, he's Canadian. Though that 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 <laughs> whining that whining voice will never go away in my head. It's, it, there's there's been some real trauma from that. Uh, yeah, we have better options now, like Bluey. Bluey's fantastic. Great Paw Patrol. Option. Yeah, are you a Paw Patrol? We're fan? we're big Paw Patrol people. Odd Squad. Odd Squad. Odd Squad's really solid. All right. Uh, is there a book you're reading right now that you would recommend to folks? <laughs> I laugh in answering this because it's going to seem like this is teed up, and it's not. Beverly Gage is a, a Yale historian that was here. The uh, Filson Society brought her here a few months ago, and she came to speak about her book on uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. And so it is a biography on Hoover that, subsequent to uh, uh, Professor Gage being here in Louisville, won the Pulitzer. It, it, it's not necessarily a favorable view of Hoover, but it's it's one worth reading, and it's a Pulitzer Prize winner, and and it's not favorable because she she has she views the world through a, a bit of a, a left of center lens. She sees real no redemptive, uh, and and Hoover made a lot of mistakes. He was in the job way too long. He was director for almost fifty years. It's a lot of power by one man, but he he built an institution that's done a lot of good. He professionalized law enforcement, so there is a there's a positive side. You just can't uh, cull it out from her characterization. Current Supreme Court justice that you most closely identify with your own legal judicial philosophy. Yeah, and I, I aspire to would be a better way. Yeah, I mean, Justice Thomas is is extraordinary. Uh, Justice Scalia was was extraordinary when he served on the court. We we always go to who is your uh, who is your Supreme Court justice, I, and that is like the default question for us. Yeah. I would encourage who's your trial court judge? Who are the appellate judges like Judge the Par, for instance? Multipar that uh, we, we don't give enough attention yeah. to those judges that, quite frankly, we interact with more as lawyers, and that I would argue have a more of a direct impact on our clients, mm-hmm. whether they be agencies or individuals. So I would just encourage let's 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 tweak that. Uh, let, let's let's talk about some lower court judges. You know, in Kentucky, we have this incredible bench of federal judges at the trial court level. We both in the Eastern District of Kentucky, where I served, in the Western District. Our, Sorry, I'm I'm, uh, I'm already trying to open the aperture, <laughs> uh, embracing both. We we have an incredible federal judiciary here, and the reason 
is because Senator McConnell has focused with a laser on the federal judiciary as the its import. He is he is working with his his the other senators have built a bench that other states look at uh, aspiringly because of the not only the intellectual heft of our our trial court judges, but the, just their decency, the the way they are collegial and they 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 sit on the bench, but yet they treat litigants with respect. And so I, I can't I I know I'm pivoting a little bit on this question, but I don't want to miss the opportunity to, to brag on the trial court judges at yeah. the federal level and our our appellate court judges. Yeah, that just don't get the love that the Supreme Court or, or hate, for, to their credit, <laughs> that the Supreme Court of the United States does. Well, Thapar is brilliant. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I firmly believe he's going to be on the Supreme Court uh, someday. From your lips to God's ears. Yeah. We've got to win some elections uh, uh, to get there. But, you know, he was a he was a shortlister once before, and, and, and he is probably the nation's foremost scholar on Justice Thomas. Justice Thomas, yeah. Uh, you know who else was on a shortlist? Daniel Cameron. Daniel Cameron was on the list. That's right. He was. Big well, more importantly— uh, Judge Tapar was a United States attorney. Yeah, he, he was. was. He was attorney. I remember uh, uh, one of my jobs when I was working for President Bush was judicial appointments and uh, lots of appointments, but that one in particular. My first ever meeting of the committee of people that sat and went through those, he was on the agenda that day. And uh, White House counsel uh, said, uh, was going down the list, was the last one on the list. And she's, Harriet Meyer said, Does anyone know Amel Thaper? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and then they said, well, who are you? And I said, I'm Scott Jennings. And it's a mool Thapar, and he's going to be great. And uh, the rest is history for uh, for Judge Thapar. All right, final question. Alive or dead, if you could pick one American political figure to have dinner with tonight, who would it be? It would be – We I mentioned that I have a 15, 12, and, and 4-year-old. Uh, our 12-year-old is named Clay. Yep. Uh, I was married on the steps of Ashland, in uh, which, for many of your listeners, that's not Ashland, Kentucky. That's the, that's Henry Clay's estate in Lexington. Right. Uh, I, my bookshelf probably has the largest number of, of Clay books, of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of Roosevelt, a lot of Churchill, uh, Henry Clay. Now, Henry Clay's never been president. I'm glad you asked yeah. the question of <laughs> any American president. You, you asked political figure. But Clay, just the the depth of his experience, the, his impact uh, on the on the United States, on, on U.S. history, having never been president, uh, might analogize him to another Kentuckian that is serving at present, uh, and is probably the two most impactful political figures in American uh, history from our Commonwealth would be Henry Clay and our senior senator now. But unlike Clay, you've never fought a duel with deadly weapons. Mm-hmm. I will swear to that, God willing, <laughs> yeah. uh, in just a few months. You've never served as a second. Second therein, no, sir. You, you've never had anything to do with the duels. The story of Henry Clay's duel, by the way, is, I mean, you think about these guys fighting these duels. I mean, he, I mean, a couple of inches in American history oh, yeah. is different. I mean, it's And amazing. you can still, it's near the CIA, as you know. You yeah. can, uh, they rode across the Potomac into yeah. Virginia from, uh, from D.C. He and, and Randolph fought that duel on the, on the shores of the Potomac near where the CIA is now. Incredible. Russell Coleman of Oldham County, the long arm of the law is here, and I predict come next week he's going to be the Attorney General-elect of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. You've run a great campaign. Congratulations on your fundraising and your political success, and uh, we look forward to what uh, what's in store for you over the next four years taking care of the people of Kentucky. Thank you, Russell. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, gentlemen. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. 
If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.